Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Uh, good morning, guys. It's good to be with you this morning. I saw a couple of hands that came up that said, I know where Everett is. That's good for you. That's quite uncommon. It's like being in Everett and saying, I'm going to Lompoc. Uh, Wendy and I do live with our two kids in Everett. Um, Everett is a Navy town. I'm sorry. Uh, Forgive me. Don't hold it against me. Um, But prior to moving up to Washington years ago, I graduated from Dos Pueblos uh, down in Goleta. Thank you. One person. One person. Go Chargers. Yeah, when I was at DP, we weren't good at anything. Uh, I don't know if that's changed yet, but one year we had a shot at being good at football, so I was pretty excited. Uh, And then it turned out you guys had this kid named Napoleon Kaufman. Yeah, game over. Um, As a matter of fact, I didn't go to the games at that point because it was just no fun. But do you know where he went to college? University of Washington. Yep, four of our greatest years. That, That guy could run. And then it became a raider, and I was conflicted. Uh, was a bit of a challenge. I'm, I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, I just want to take a couple moments and share with you some things that Jesus has kind of put on my heart for me, uh, and hope that it's an encouragement to you, as Pastor B and Debbie have been such an encouragement to Wendy uh, and to me. So I, I, we've prayed a lot, but I, I want to pray one more time. I didn't pray in the 9 o'clock service, so you're getting, you're getting like the A-plus deal. Um, Have to now because Pastor B said this message was going to be magnificent. And I I don't know that anyone has ever described anything I've done as magnificent. But Jesus, you were magnificent. Um, Lord, would you speak words of hope to us this morning? Would you speak words of life to us this morning? God, I I have this this sense in my spirit as I pray right now of, of something I haven't seen since I was a kid, but... My mom used to use a pressure cooker uh, on the stove. And Lord, I have this sense of a, of a pressure cooker where pressure is building and building and building, and it's about to be released. And in the same way a steam cloud would come up out of that pressure cooker, Lord, I believe that you are communicating to this church that the glory of God is beginning to break out in a way that is so incredibly life-giving. Lord, I I don't have the words to describe. It's not my job to say what you're going to do. But would would you help us leave this place with a sense of anticipation that your spirit is preparing to do something that has not been done in this place before? Lord, not only in the church, but in the hearts, in the minds, and in the lives of every man, woman, and child that calls LFC home. Whether they are here, present, or overseas and with us online, God, you are about to do something miraculous. And we say in faith and in advance, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are going to be in first, no, we're not. That's a mistake. First mistake out of the gate. Glad I got that out of the way. We're going to be in second Samuel. Not 1 Samuel. You can park there if you want to. You'll be all by yourself. Uh, We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6 this morning. It's the story of King David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. And I want to give you a little bit of the backstory. 
So in, in 2 Samuel 5, uh, David has captured the city of the Jerusalem from the Jebusites. It's become clear that it's going to be his capital. He's defeated a, a Philistine army that threatened the entire nation. And now that peace has come, it's time for him to bring the Ark of the Covenant in which the glory of God, the presence of God dwelt up the city, excuse me, up the hill into the city. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, God had taught his people, was where he was going to be present. And so his presence would sit there, whether it was in the tabernacle or in the temple. And so David sets out to bring the glory of God to the city of Jerusalem. And this is such a big deal that he takes 30,000 of his elite fighting men with him to be part of this incredible procession, this victory procession into the city. And I want to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to read you starting in verse 1. Here we go. So David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals, just a massive band. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of the Lord and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had broken out, <clears throat> broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Interesting story. So coming up to the beginning of, of uh, 2 Samuel 6, things have been going really, really well for, Daniel, uh, for David. It's kind of been victory after victory. Everything that the, the prophet Samuel had prophesied over him earlier in his life had come true. He's been anointed king. He's defeated his enemies. He has a new capital. And now he's leading a procession to bring the very presence of God into the city. Everything in his life, after a very challenging season, is now finally trending in the right direction. I love of those moments in life where everything seems to be going right. I haven't experienced one in a while, but when they happen, I really, really like them. And so everything is going really well for David. It's about to just be this penultimate moment as the glory of God comes to rest upon the city, and, and he hits a bump, quite literally. See, God had made it very clear to the people of Israel that he was a holy God. And, and one of the ways that he was going to show his separateness, his, his holiness, was that they couldn't come too close to him and they couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant. And so when the Ark is, is being pulled by the oxen and one of the oxen stumble, this man reaches out just to touch the Ark to make sure it doesn't fall. And when he touches the Ark to make sure it doesn't fall, he drops down dead. Now, you want to end a party early? This is the way you do it. Boom, done. He hits the ground. And life takes a hard left turn for David. He went from joy to despair in a moment, from victory to defeat. In, in the time it takes for someone to reach out his hand, his entire world changed. When life, when life springs a surprise on us, it can stir up a lot of different feels. 
lot of different emotions. And there were a number of them going on in David's heart in this instance. And, and verse 8 says one of the first ones that he experiences, David becomes angry. We don't know exactly why he became angry. It could be because, guys, this isn't, this, everything was going so well, and now suddenly I'm dealing with disappointment. It could be because this is not the way that I had things planned. Or Have you ever become angry when things begin to happen that are beyond your control? David had, had nothing to do with the touching of the ark and the dropping dead, but now he feels like the way things were moving forward have suddenly shifted through no fault of his own. Or maybe he felt it was his fault. Maybe he felt that because he was the one that was supposed to safeguard the ark and the procession, that the fact that Uzzah reached out and touched it and everything went sideways, maybe he felt it was his fault. We don't know why he was angry. We just know that he was angry. Could have been mad at Uzzah, could have been mad at God, could have been mad at, itself, at himself. Verse 9 says he's not only angry, but he's afraid, as I probably would be too if somebody dropped dead in the middle of one of my parties. Something unexpected has just happened. Something unanticipated and really, really painful has just happened, and I can't do anything about it. And there has to be some thought in his mind, am I going to be in trouble? Or maybe he's wondering what is going to happen next. The future is uncertain. We don't know. Samuel doesn't tell us his thought process. It just tells us he's angry, and it tells us he's afraid. And so David calls time out. David, David steps back from, I mean, think about the rapidness of this transition. He has got 30,000 men in this triumphant procession, plus all the women and children that would have been along for the ride, and all of these musicians, and David is dancing, and they're singing, and in an instant, everything shuts down. Anybody else experience an instant shutdown any time in your recent history? Like the world? Boom. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm calling time out. David says, I'm leaving the ark here. I'm going home. 2 Samuel 6, verse 10. He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. You park here. I'm going to go lock myself up in my city. David leaves the ark at Bob's house. Goes home to Jerusalem. I, I know the scripture says his name is Obed-Edom the Gittite, but Bob is so much easier for me to say that from here on out, when we're talking about him, we're going to call him Bob. When David leaves the ark in Bob's house and he returns to Jerusalem, God's presence, God's peace, God's blessing, God's joy, it remains with Bob. David walks out of the plan and the purposes and the presence of God and shuts himself up in the city. And I can't help but think that must have been a long, lonely walk from victory to defeat, from celebration to depression as he walks up the hill. It's not an easy walk. You, you climb up the hill into the city. But I understand his willingness, his, his desire to kind of step back and withdraw. Withdrawal is a natural response to challenge. It really is. But it's not a kingdom response. You hear me? When things get hard, it's natural to step back, to protect and preserve. But as the body of Christ, that's not necessarily a kingdom response. Fear and anger will always try to isolate us to get us outside of the presence and the people of God, to, to darken our view of both the present and the future, to steal our hope. I don't see well, I don't think well, I don't assess well, and I don't discern well when I am scared or when I am angry. 
My reality is flavored in those moments by, by what I'm feeling. And I would imagine that this is probably what was happening with David. The party's over. He goes back to Jerusalem, and he sits there for three months. In those three months when he's in the city without the ark, outside of the presence and the power and the purpose of God, his companions are anger and fear. In those moments when he's not sure what's happened to God's plan or God's promise, I think those probably would have been very, very dark times for David. You and I might call that the 16 months of 2020 and 2021. Things went dark. Anybody else feel like at some point somebody just turned out the lights? Like, game changer, what, what just happened? What, whatever your thoughts are about COVID or masks or vaccines or distancing, the fact of the matter is the world shut down. It, it went dark. People, people's plans were disrupted. They got scared. They got angry. They got frustrated. My son, my son graduated in, in 2020, and that was awesome. Um, his graduation pictures are in an IHOP parking lot behind my car, right? Works, works 18 years to get ready to graduate. He's so excited. And we're like, hey, we're, we're going to go take your picture in the IHOP parking lot. And we're going to drive over and, and pick up your diploma. Yay. He had been planning to go to school in Australia, uh, to go to college there, and he couldn't because it shut down. Not the school, the entire country. Um, they said, you can't come in. We, we couldn't see friends. We couldn't see family. We, we couldn't worship together. We couldn't be with the people we love. I mean, things went dark. Now, you're probably thinking, John, you said about nine minutes ago that you were going to encourage us, and right now you're talking about anger, fear, depression, disruption, darkness, and that's not very discouraging. That's not very encouraging. Bear with me. It's true. I haven't forgot my promise. We are going to get to some encouragement because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we have a limited perspective on what's going on in the world around us. What's immediately before us tends to capture our attention and call for our energy. But Paul says that we look at things like through smoked glass. We, we don't see always clearly with our natural eyes, which is why he also goes on to tell us that we walk by faith and not by sight. There is always more going on than what we can immediately see before us with our natural eyes. So if things have seemed dark to you or seem dark to you right now, if, if you've had moments where things are unclear or discouraging or depressing or frightening, let me tell you what happens in the dark. The Spirit of God moves and the voice of God speaks. God always invades the dark places. Let, let me show you. The very beginning of the story of God, Genesis 1.1, this is what Moses writes. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, what a great way to start a story. What a great way to capture our attention. It is the best opening line ever. Guys, in the beginning, here's what happened. But who's beginning? Whose beginning is he writing about? This is the story of creation. It's the story of man being made in the image of God. It's the story of our beginning. It's not the story of God's beginning. For God, this, Genesis 1-1, this is just another chapter. But for you and I, it's the beginning of something new, something that has never, ever been seen before. And because it's never been seen before, it's never been done, God's 
preparing to create out of his own power and presence something that, that, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no eye has ever conceived because it's never been seen before. It looks a little dark and empty. But is it really? Can it really be dark and empty when the Spirit of God is hovering over that place? This is why this is so important, that it's our beginning and not God's. It's because it reminds us that God is present in those dark places and he is unaffected by any darkness we might experience. Where where we see limitation, he sees opportunity. And where we see problems, God sees potential. John, the beloved, uh, he wrote his own book so he got to give himself his own name. Uh, I too want to write my own book and I'm going to call myself John the Magnificent. Um, But until that point, we'll just deal with John the beloved. He also writes the beginning in John 1.1. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the beginning gospel and the beginning of the Old Testament both begin with this phrase, in the beginning. But the word John uses and the word Moses uses are very, very different. John uses a Greek word with a substantially different meaning. The the, the word is arche, and it means that by which anything begins. And what he is saying is, There has never been a time that God wasn't present, and there has never been a moment that did not have his beginning or his source in him. There has never been a moment where God has been caught off guard. He's never been surprised. He's never been uh, discouraged, and he has never experienced something that he doesn't know how to deal with. Before anything ever began, John is saying, Jesus was present. He was at the beginning of all things. Moses is speaking about the beginning of an era, the beginning of man. John is saying there's never a moment that he wasn't. Why is that important? Because it shows us that in these moments that appear to be dark or confusing or frustrating or even agitating, those moments where you and I might be tempted to go back to Jerusalem in disappointment, the darkness that we are experiencing, the confusion or the frustration does not speak of God's absence because he sees what was, what is, and what will be all at the same time. God is not only present in the darkness, but he is uniquely positioned to do something about it. Because he did not have a beginning, because there is never anything that is unknown to him, what looks dark to you and what looks dark to me does not look dark to God. There is never a moment where God is looking forward into the future and going, Holy Spirit, I'm just really not sure what's going to happen. I don't know how to lead my people because the future is so uncertain. It looks dark to me. Scripture says there's never been a moment where he hasn't seen or he hasn't known. Let me take you back to Genesis for just a second. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the waters of the deep. Formless, empty, dark. Anybody this morning honest enough to say, uh, I've experienced a moment or two like that over the last year? There's been a moment when things look dark. When I couldn't see clearly, where things were a little bit confusing, I have, for sure. I I didn't know how to pastor in COVID. I didn't know how to parent in COVID. School gave us a call and said, hey, by the way, you're the new teacher. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I haven't been in college in 30 years. I didn't know how to go to the grocery store in COVID. I don't know what it was like for you guys, but for me, man, every time I went to the store, something was just a little bit different. 
One day I had to wear a mask. Another day I had to sanitize my hands before I walked in. Uh, then one day I showed up and there were, there were spots that I had to stand in. And then, then they put directional arrows in my grocery store. I've been going to the grocery store, the same one, for over five years. And when I want to walk down the milk aisle, I walk this way. And somebody someday tells me, you can't walk that way in the grocery aisle anymore. And heaven forbid, if you did, I'm a bit of a rule breaker. Every once in a while, if it looked clear, I'd sprint down against the arrow. And invariably, somebody would be sitting there going... Or uh, turning to their spouse and saying loud enough for you to hear, I don't think they can see the arrow. That was actually me one day to my wife when I was cranky, kind of passively, aggressively judging someone because I was done. But uh, yeah, anyway, one day I could only go in one door and could only go out the other door. All I wanted was like a gallon of milk and I felt like I needed a PhD and a life coach. Like what's going on? The world has turned upside down. But guys, in the dark places... In the places where we experience fear or frustration, we have these words of hope and promise from verse 2. The earth was formless and empty. Got it. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. I understand. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Note that he says it was dark and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. These things are true or the, at the exact same time. They are complementary, not contradictory. Moses isn't calling it a problem. He wasn't saying the world was dark, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was saying it was dark and looked empty and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, waiting, watching for the right moment to invade that darkness with both his presence and his power. The word hovers were used three times in the Old Testament, once in Genesis 1 that we just read, once in Jeremiah 23, and once in Deuteronomy 32. And I want to show you how it's used in Deuteronomy 32, because it's important to our conversation. And remember, Deuteronomy has the same author as Genesis, and he's speaking about how God cared for Jacob in a dark time. It says, he found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him and cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up in his nest that hovers, there's that word, that hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. Uh, if you know what a pinion is, let me know after service because I'm clueless. Um, but I understand that this is an active word that is being used for hover here, not, not a passive one. So when I read in Genesis 1 that the Spirit of God is hovering over the darkness, I see him humming with potential energy, with, with a plan and a purpose that he is getting ready to activate, that he's waiting for the perfect moment to penetrate the darkness with his power and the emptiness with his life. I see him watching and caring and providing and protecting, leading and guiding, loving and affirming in the dark places. The author of discouragement would tell us that darkness is a sign of God's absence, but the author of Genesis would say very much the opposite. He would tell us that it's the same God who leads us to green valleys, to green pastures, also leads us through shadowed valleys. I was reading this passage in my backyard one morning, and I, and I just started a journal about it, and I just wrote, I said, the fact that, that things were unformed or unclear doesn't mean that God wasn't present and active. I was kind of ministering to my own soul in that moment. He was intentional, and he was ready, and he was responsive. He was waiting for the moment of creation. He knew what was going to happen and how that darkness was not only going to be dispelled, but was going to be filled with something full of light and full of life. That's not what I wrote. I'm starting to preach now. Um, 
I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna dial it in a little bit because I've been told if I stand to the left or the right, I'm gonna create problems for the camera people. And you don't wanna get the camera people mad. That's just not a good idea. The absence of form, the absence of concrete shapes didn't reflect the absence of God's presence or his plan. So if you found yourself in, in one of those seasons, maybe you're in one right now, I just want you to know that you're not alone and God is not absent. He is very much present. He is the God that says he will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. He is the God that says there is nothing on the earth, above the earth, or ever the, under the earth that can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are deeply, profoundly cared for and loved by the Most High God. So let me tell you that darkness never has the final word. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that darkness is just the canvas upon which God is preparing to paint. Let me say that to you again. If things are dark, the darkness is simply the canvas upon which God is preparing to paint, and he does it by speaking into that darkness words of life, words of power, words of affirmation, words of edification. He takes from his very self and invades that darkness with the presence and the power of God, and everything changes. This, this area that was dark and formless and void, God speaks seven times, and in the seven moments that he speaks, he doesn't simply dispel the darkness, he fills the darkness with with something that is never before seen. He doesn't change the course of human history. With seven phrases, he begins the course of human history. He creates for himself men and women made in his own image whom he can love and walk with. And guys, it, 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 it comes from this, comes from the heart of God himself as he speaks into dark places. And if you need God to speak into a dark place in your life, he is prepared to do that this morning. And in the same way that the Genesis account says something began that had never begun before, God is able to do the same thing for you. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. He's not limited by your own limitations. He doesn't need you to pray the right kind of prayer or ask for the right kind of thing. He is able to do more than you would ever think to even ask him as he speaks words of hope and life and freedom and healing and affirmation. It's what he does in Genesis 1.1. Verse 3, God said, let there be light. Bam. Verse 6, God said. Verse 9, God said. Verse 14, God said. Verse 20, God said. Verse 24, God said. Verse 26, then God said. And after each of those statements says, and it was. When God speaks, everything changes. And by the time he is done speaking, everything that had been dark and formless is suddenly light and alive, a masterpiece. As God takes his very nature and fills, fills the darkest spaces, the, the most isolated crevices, God will take of himself and give to you whatever it is that you need from him because he loves you and because it brings glory to his name. This is what God wants to do for you. This is what God will do for you. If you've been walking through a season that has felt dark or fearful, if you've experienced anger or confusion, I just want to say to you, God is presently hovering over the darkness of your life. He's not absent. It was dark and he was hovering. And so God is very much in step with you and aligned with you and willing to be whatever you need for him to be and more because he loves you with an unshakable love. He knows your next job, your next relationship. He knows your next duty station. He knows your next ministry role, your next serving opportunity. 
What seems new and strange to you is neither new nor strange to him because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did in Genesis, he's ready to do again today. God will speak into your darkness. I, I was praying, just kind of listening to the Lord the other day, and the message was done, and, and I felt like the Lord said, John, here, here's something I, I want you to address as well, just as an encouragement to people. Sometimes things seem easy for me to say, I know. One of my superpowers is misspeaking in the middle of a message, so congratulations, you got to experience that. One of the reasons sometimes things feel dark to us is because of what, what's happened around us. Other times things feel dark because like David, we've withdrawn into our fear, withdrawn into our anger. And if that's your experience, if that's your reality, I want to tell you God is present there as well. See, sometimes he speaks into our darkness and sometimes he invites us to walk out of it. David spent three months in darkness and disappointment in the city of Jerusalem. Three months in his fear and anger. And then word gets back to him. Things are going really well for Bob. Do you remember, you remember where you left the ark at Bob's house? Second Samuel says his entire household is thriving and, and experiencing incredible blessing because where God is present and where we are present with him, blessing is sure to follow. And I think David probably at that point longs for what he's been missing. Like, oh man, do you remember? Do you remember the joy you experienced, the fellowship you experienced, the presence of God you experienced? Maybe you long for that as well. Maybe... Maybe you're with us online this morning and you're just lonely. God knows and God sees. David has to make a decision. And he decides to rouse himself and return to the place where he had allowed fear and anger to isolate him. Where, where disappointment had, had led him to, to shut himself up in the city. He had to go back to that space and to meet with God again. And this took courage. I commend this. You can read the story of the failure of David, or you can read it of the story of a man who experienced frustration like we did and then had the courage to walk back into his disappointment, trusting God for a different outcome, because that's what David did. There came a moment where the longing in his heart for the presence and the people of God was so profound that he left the city, walked back down the hill to the house of Bob, trusting God for a different outcome. Pastor B talked last week about abiding in the vine, being present with God. And maybe you've gotten out of the rhythm of a habit of spending time with him on the regular. COVID disrupted a lot of rhythms, and that was one of them. Maybe that's contributing to some of the challenges that you're feeling right now. I would just encourage you to do what David did, whether it's going back to, to time in service or time in the word or time with others who are part of the body of Christ. Go back to that place where you began to withdraw because Jesus is waiting for you there. It's in the abiding that God speaks and it's in the abiding that his power is brought to bear. And he longs, longs to speak life into your darkness. Second Samuel 11, I love this, the way this story ends. It says, David went down and brought the ark of God up from the house of Bob. See, it's right there in the scripture, Bob. To the city of David with rejoicing. Return leads to rejoicing and re-engagement. And David picks up the journey right where he left off. There is no shame. There is no judgment, just rejoicing. God doesn't tell him to go back to the first house where he picked it up and start the journey again. 
David goes back to Bob's house, re-engages the process with the, the ark, and comes back with joy and celebration. And he rules Israel in Jerusalem for another 33 years. Here's why I think it's interesting that that, that number is included. Those three months probably felt like a really long time. And it was less than 1% of the totality of the time David would rule in the city of Jerusalem. Felt like a long time, it was a moment in time. If this has felt like a long time for you, this is just a blink. And the, the story that God is continuing to write in you and through you will be so much longer. We will look back at this time and go, yep, that was hard. But the story will be, here's where God met me in those moments, and this is how God led me through. There was no shame and no judgment when David went back to that spot. So if you're missing some, some joy, maybe, maybe it's time to return and maybe it's time to re-engage. There won't be any shame or judgment waiting for you, just a, just a God who loves you profoundly, loves you deeply, and is committed to your, your present and your future. It's gonna be good, guys. There are some great, great days ahead. The Spirit of God is hovering over this place collectively as a body and individually in your lives. And I just want to say, be encouraged. If it looks dark, change is coming because God is speaking. And Pastor Bernie said I could pray a blessing over you, and I'd like to do that if I can. Uh, and I, and there, there are three particular groups of people I, I want to pray for. It'll be one prayer. Don't worry, it's not going to be long. But there are three things the Lord just kind of stirred in my heart. One is a group of people who would just say this morning... I want to be able to speak words of life into other people's darkness the same way God spoke into the darkness of Genesis 1. There are people in my life, in my circle, at work, at home, wherever I recreate, who are just deeply challenged, and I, I want to have the words of life that bring hope and joy and return to Christ to them. I, I want to pray for you. Some of us this morning might say, John, right now I am scared or I am angry or I am confused, and I need God's voice to penetrate my darkness with words of life. He's prepared to do that to speak things into existence that weren't there when you walked into the building this morning. And third, you might say, I need to rouse myself and return to where I was last present with God. I need, I need to go back, and I need to re-engage the journey. And I need to understand that I don't need to do it with my head down, but with my head held high, because there is no shame, there is no judgment, there is no discouragement waiting, just the presence of a loving God. So if any of those three categories reflect where your heart is right now, would you just kind of tell the Lord that as I pray for you? He already knows. This is just us acknowledging and inviting him to step into that space. And if, if you're thriving, my prayer for you would be that you continue to thrive and you minister that same joy in life that you carry to those around you. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, and we are so incredibly grateful for your presence. Lord, and you have said to us in Philippians that we can be confident that you who began a good work in you in us, we'll be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we, we open our hearts to you this morning, and we ask that you would speak words of hope and encouragement and life and vitality. Lord Jesus, your word says that you have not given us a spirit of fear. Another translation says timidity. But Lord, you have given us as your people the spirit of power, the spirit of love and of a sound mind. And the reason that love is so critical, Lord, is because your word says that your perfect love casts out fear. So where fear has been present, Lord Jesus, we say be gone in the name of Jesus and we invite your love to come and soothe and heal all of those places that have been agitated. Where confusion is present, Lord, we, we cast that out 
God in Jesus' name, and we declare in the words of Scripture that we have been transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we have the mind of Christ, that as his children who've been given his spirit, we can hear clearly the voice of God speaking words of hope and life, of love and encouragement to us, and we receive that in Jesus' name. And for those of us, Lord, who are rousing ourselves to return to your presence, God, we, we are so grateful for the story of the faithful father who received his prodigal son back with rejoicing, not with judgment, who threw a party because his heart was so full that his son had come back. Lord Jesus, you are a God who was creating in the beginning of our story, and you have not since. You hold the power of creation, you hold the power of life, and you are even now prepared to breathe on this congregation in a fresh and a unique and a powerful way. Lord, you promised us in Acts chapter 2 that we would have dreams and visions. Lord God, that you would cast before us an idea of where you were leading us and that we would be able to walk into things that have never been done before as your witnesses. Lord Jesus, we remain in those days of Acts chapter 2 today. And so we say, Lord God, speak to us in dreams and speak to us in visions. Lord, and lead us in the way that you would have us go because we, your children, are ready for some joy, ready for some life, ready to experience kingdom dynamic vitality. We are so grateful that you were leading us in that direction. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.